The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now we're off to uh, far north Canada today and we'll also be delving into uh, Utah. The focus is copper and we all know that the world is screaming out for more copper units. So we have an explorer here, American West Metals. The code is AW1, trading at around 6.1 cents for a market cap of 20 million. So nicely leveraged to uh, ongoing exploration success. And they've been doing that today. They've announced some uh, more assay results from the Storm Copper Project up there in uh, Canada. We're talking up in the Northwest Passage part of the country on Nunavut Island. Uh, Well, in Nunavut and Somerset Island. And uh, to bring us up to speed on just how uh, the progress is going there, we have Dave O'Neill, the MD, with us today. Now, Dave is well known around the industry, but uh, to bring... uh, listeners into the tent as it were. I'll get Dave to start out by just giving us a bit of a snapshot on his uh, professional background to date. G'day Dave, welcome to the podcast. Hi Barry, thanks for having us. Yeah, it'd be great if we could just start off with a bit of a background on yourself, Dave. Sure, sure. Um, look, it's been about 25 years in, in geoscience, mostly in the in the you know the technical side of things. Uh, started off with Anglo Gold and uh, play specific in the gold space back do an exploration in the in the central gold fields back in the day, ninety-six uh, mm-hmm. to ninety-eight sort of thing. Then moved into nickel and uh, was fortunate enough to work for um, Anaconda Nickel in the first days. Exciting, huh? yeah, with with Twiggy and getting the mine opened with uh, uh, the the great John Howard and things like that it was a very exciting time. But look, a really good exposure. It was a fantastic project. It, it, it sort of wet the teeth into nickel, and that was nickel laterite, of course, oxide nickel. Uh, and then moved into uh, gold mining, big pits with Anglo Gold, Sunrise Dam, etc. And then moved into Western mining again in the the mining geology space. So I guess deep experience in in, in everything from from underground to open pit nickel gold mines, etc. And then moved uh, obviously Western mining was acquired by BHP, and, and that was a fantastic uh, organisation to be part of. And then again with Western mining as well, it gave fantastic experience. Fantastic exposure to a lot of uh, you know the industry leaders in terms of science and 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 all things geology and mining and so that was fantastic and then with those opportunities as well you get to move internationally and globally and exploring places like Africa and Russia and, and Indonesia and Papua New Guinea and uh, and I guess that that what what that does it gives you really good exposure um, you look at a lot of projects globally so. Hence us, I guess, moving into the North American spaces because, you know, you, you do pick up a lot of these things when you're working under these kind of organisations. So you become familiar with working in foreign jurisdictions as well and understand how to do things and understand that you just don't need to be in central Western Australia to have a very uh, nice mining operation. Right, it's a very crowded West Australian mining space nowadays. So <clears throat> I was just wondering then, you, um, you mentioned WMC. Is that what... Uh, Brought to your attention the uh, this uh, Nunavut uh, potential because I think they had a, a gold project up in that part of the world, didn't they? WMC. They did, they did, um, but no, it wasn't specifically Western Mining. 
it was uh, mostly at the time with BHP and, and then subsequently working with Western Areas. Uh, everyone would understand Western Areas, uh, mid-tier nickel producer. So, again, doing in the in the business development space in those two organisations, you, you do, like I said, you see a lot of projects come over the desk and what might not be suitable for companies like BHP or Western Areas would certainly suit um, juniors or even mid-tier companies. And, and so, you know, I guess it, you get a lot of opportunities presented to you and and, and you get to assess a lot of projects. Now, um, Somerset Island in Nunavut, you have the Storm Copper Project. Uh, give us a bit of a background for that and then we can uh, dive into some of the assay results you've just released. Sure. So this um, actually was a, a BHP joint venture um, back in, oh, I think it was 2012-ish. They uh, got out of the project for commercial reasons. Most of the exploration went down to Santiago and explored the Andes for porphyry copper. And so uh, they did do a little bit of work up there, but this has been owned by, um, it was originally Tech Cominco and Commander Resources, and then it moved into Aston Bay Holdings, who's our current joint venture partner on the project. So it's been around for about 10 years, but it's really been explored quite sporadically. A couple of reasons, money to get up there and explore um, a, a fairly short, what was a fairly short exploration season, which we've expanded to to six to eight months of the year. And a bit of a, a really the work was sort of accumulating it and there was a lack of understanding of the geology in terms of the deposit model and things like that. And so I must say that, look, Aston Bay's worked about 10 years on the project and, and they've really done all the heavy lifting for this. So a lot of geoscience, a lot of drill holes, a lot of sampling and geophysics so we really got to come in at the 11th hour and really turn it, uh, um, I guess, put a new set of eyes on it, but also come in with the funding, come in with some new ideas and really advance the project. So it's been, uh, I guess, recognised historically as about uh, copper everywhere sticking out of the ground. And in about four different prospects, there's been you know, a significant amount of, I guess, copper that looks continuous and, and starting to take form. And... Um, so really, most of the exploration has been focused on, on, on that near surface all. But what happened last year is we actually, um, based on some some positive geophysical results, EM and other um, and other techniques as well, we decided to drill a, uh, a deeper hole just to test what was laying below this sort of near surface mineralisation. When we got about a hundred metres of mineralisation, chalcopyrite, fairly weak, but there was some stronger parts in, in the drill core and. Uh, what it looked like we were on the, uh, the edge of a very large sedimentary system. So we may have discovered uh, the potential source for this near surface mineralization. So that was very encouraging. And uh, we plan to do more work on that this year. Right. So that's a potential game changer for the project. It is. And look, there's two, two parts of the strategy this year. And as you know, investors would know, we're drilling at the moment. This is a focus on the near surface mineralization. We believe there's a critical mass of mineralization there that uh, would uh, potentially, uh, you know, yield significant resources in the near surface. This is all open pitable. Um, and then we've also shown that this um, material also beneficiates very, very well to the fact where you can get a potentially a, a DSO product that's about 50% copper. So this is a very potentially a high margin opportunity for us. So the, the initial focus is to get resources around this near surface ore. Uh, but then also explore the exploration potential of the project, and that is this, the deeper the potential of having this larger, deeper system at depth as well. So, just run us through um, 
the results you've just announced. Um, now, these were more of a sort of infill uh, building towards a mineral resource estimate uh, sort of drill results rather than an extensional drill. Is that right? That's right. So we're drilling. They're all numbered, these zones, so we do have to change the names of these. <laughs> we're drilling the 4100 zone at the moment, and, and the sole reason for us drilling there at the moment is resource definition. So it's got a very large footprint, and we're essentially infilling, but also trying to extend it as well. And so we've drilled 17 holes today, and, and up until now, we've only had, obviously, the visual estimates on the drill holes. And, look, I can tell you that the, the mineralisation at Storm is very straightforward. It's it's very distinctive. It, it's dark grey or, or purple, being bornite and chalcosite. Um, and then the, it's essentially hosted in a dolomite, which is light grey or white. So it's very easy to recognise. But today we released the very first um, assays from this season. Uh, the seas, the assays validated. Um, so what we're calling strong mineralisation is what we think is about above one percent copper. Yep. The fantastic uh, open pit uh, copper number. You know, there's similar deposits in Africa that go around the one percent, but we're thinking you know storm is around the two percent mark. So. These first assays really validate our assumptions around the visual results, and that's um, refreshing from a geological point of view. It, it tells us that we're we're on the mark, and it means that look, our, the assumptions were made with these other seventeen drill holes. Um, you know, there's a good chance that the, the assays will come back and honour those those intersections. So, um, look, purely on a technical sense, it means that the thing is sticking together. It means it's expanding, and it means there's lots of copper in that. And so, you know, as you work towards your maiden resource, they're, they're all the things you, you obviously want. What's the likely timing of the mineral resource estimate? So we'll drill the f- next three zones out, 4100, the 2750 and 2200 zones out in the next uh, couple of months. And so depending on assay return and, and QAQC and, and, you know, we've got a resource geologist going to site in July, I'll be going to site in July and just ticking off some of those, the technical um, side of things. I'd hope to be able to get it out in late September, October this year. Um, I hate saying dates, but, you know, people hold you to it. But we're working very hard behind the scenes at the moment. So we're already looking at the, the resource shapes, potential resource shapes. And, you know, obviously with the, the more assays and more drilling coming in, we'll, we'll change those as they evolve. And do you see yourself rolling straight into scoping slash feasibility study for the DSO? The project yeah i do because so that works also continuing behind the scenes at the moment so and that's really to say look what is the definitive processing technology is going to be you know the key for this project you know if we came up with a resource that's quite sizable we know that traditional flotation with all its uh, you know the mining infrastructure will work but what we want to show people is that look there's other ways to do this as much lower footprint um if we can bring some beneficiation technique in like all sorting like dms or or, or, or similar the, the the ability to not have a tailings dam not have a processing plant and just have this almost like a quarry style operation does two things it obviously reduces the amount of product that you have to move um so lower transport costs but also you know we are operating up in a part of the world that um is fairly remote but but has fantastic access and um you know we want to be seen to doing the right thing and and i think you know, I think as a mining company moving forward, you need to take into account, obviously, the ESG side of things. You need to be nimble. You need to be efficient um, because that actually, in the end of the day, means more money as well. In that part of the world, are there any particular Indigenous uh, people's issues that you need to uh, deal with? No. So we, we're located 100% on Crown land. Um, 
we do work closely with the, the Inuit population up there. A lot of the guys work for us on site. We have, have formed, you know, Aston Bay has been fantastic in forming fantastic relationships with these groups in the past. Um, we'll be up there to say hello back up in uh, in July this year. Um, but look, it's um, no, in that side of things, um, I guess we're closest to Resolute. Resolute is about 100 kilometres to the north on the north side of the Northwest Passage. And, and that's the main, uh, I guess, the local community. But a lot of that, there's nothing. No, there's the old Polaris zinc and lead mine. And to the east, we have the old Nanocivic lead and zinc mine. Um, so it is, you know, it, despite the, the lack of communities up there, the lack of infrastructure at this point in time, it, you know, it is a existing mining district. You know, so okay, now you mentioned uh, those uh, zinc mines in the the broader region. You've got a bit of zinc in this deposit too, don't you? Storm. Not in storm is a copper, copper only, with a little bit of silver. But we also had the seal zinc silver deposit, which um, sits out on the coast. Um, now that's relatively small at this point in time. It's only about a million tons, but it's ten and a half percent zinc. It's about fifty grams silver. So. Um, we're not exploring that at the moment. You know, zinc isn't the most sexy metal going around at the moment. And um, But, look, what the work that's been done on seal in the past has shown that it is actually related to Polaris. So uh, some of the isotope work that was done, the geoscience behind it shows it's part of a very large mineralisation event. So look, we'll we'll get to, to seal at some point, but certainly the short-term focus for us is um, storm. Now, we've talked about the likely timing of the MRE, but what about uh, just... Give us a likely timing for uh, chasing up. I think you've got um, six other prospects uh, in the area that um, you you want to test over time for this uh, sedimentary uh, potential. Obviously, we'll focus on the resource work first and and tick those boxes first, and then we'll move into the the broader area. Um, we we've got an EM crew on site. Uh, we're just forty kilometres to the south of Storm. There's a uh, a, a copper gossam that sticks out of the ground. There's over 30% in copper in, in rock samples down there. So we want to run the, the EM over that just to see if there's any quick quick wins down there um, and then see how that comes out in, in the data and then we'll, you know, move a drawing down there if there's anything exciting. But, look, it's 40 k's away. It's not going to influence the resource estimate or anything like that. But it, it will just be a sign to say, look, you know, this system is a big system. It's, we've got mineralisation located 40 kilometres away from each other. You know, what else is out there, essentially? So you're talking about the Tempos, uh, Tempest uh, prospect there. And I noticed some the names of some of the other ones in that part of the world, uh, Tornado and Blizzard, which I guess all goes to uh, what could be seen as a harsh operating environment. But just give us some of the reasons why you find it uh, not all that difficult to be exploring there, given the, uh, I think it's minus three degrees in that part of the world today. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting story. And I think, and, and look, uh, my partners can uh, tell me I'm wrong here, but I think it was named Storm because the way it was discovered, uh, there was bad weather at the time that Kaminka was doing um, some sampling up there. And I think the helicopter almost ran into a ridge and that ridge just happened to be green. So they discovered copper, um, due to bad weather in the helicopter, but <laughs> and, I know. And so, unfortunately, all the other names have been named pretty, uh, you know, <laughs> terrible names in terms of weather. But uh, look, if anyone's seen our photos, it, it, so Storm's actually situated in the Arctic desert. Yeah. And what that means is there's very little animals. There's, there's no vegetation on the ground. It's flat. And so we've only, we actually get less than one metre of snow um, every year. So that's how dry the place is. So... 
Um, so what that means is that it's flat, very easy to explore. Um, it's usually very good weather. Like if people have seen our photos, there's a lot of blue sky uh, and fairly light winds. It's fairly benign. And we're next to the coast. And so I've found um, operating up there is actually no different to most parts of the world where everywhere gets affected by some weather. Um, you know, essentially it, it's a one, one long day shift and one long night shift as far as, you know, the Arctic, um, you know, the darkness during the depths, et cetera. But look, parts of Western Australia are difficult. If you go, you can't go to the Patterson in the summer, it's too hot. And you've seen, you know, what the rain's done to the Queensland copper operations at the moment. So it's no different in fact. And, and look, we've extended the working, um, you know, period this year to about six to eight months. So, you know, you, you just got to roll the sleeves up and get into it. And that and that's, you know, so it's, it's fairly benign in terms of environments. Now, I mentioned earlier the market cap was 20 mil. So obviously, well, I can say that's more than uh, the Storm Copper Project, uh, more than justifies that market cap. Yet you have uh, the West Desert and the Copper Warrior in uh, Utah, uh, two interesting uh, projects, prospects. Uh, tell us what's on the go there or will be on the go there. The way the, the company's set up and the way the projects are set up is that we, we try and run one project at any one time. So we released the, the maiden resource estimate for West Desert earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that came out with, it showed a very robust mining proposal for an open pit, then a much higher grade underground. Right. So there's a, a little bit of work that we're doing in the background. We, we're doing the Indian resource estimate for that. Just to remind people, it is the, the largest Indian resource in the US. Um, we think it contains, you know, enough indium to supply uh, the U.S. market for ten years. So that's, you know, it's getting a lot of interest from the U.S. government uh, and local governments for that that reason. And that's in addition to the zinc, copper, and silver in that deposit. But look, that was a good time to park the project, essentially from an operational point of view, um, and because we led straight into storm. So um, look, the other project we have is is Southeast Utah, and that's traditional sedimentary copper. So that's I guess the same geological model as the, the 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 deep things that we're looking for at Storm. That project is 15 kilometres from Utah's second largest copper mine called Lisbon Valley, privately owned operation down there. And and look, we're actually discussing with them some synergies. Um, they need all, you know, the, their, their pits are getting a bit tired and, and uh, they need some more mineralisation. And the work we've done and, and the copper sticking out of the ground there shows that we may actually have that. So... We're working on a few things in the background with them and potential partnerships to to hopefully move the, the Copper Warrior project uh, forward quite quickly. Okay. Uh, I'll just have to backtrack a sec. Uh, what is indium? So indium is a critical metal, mm-hmm. as designated by the US government. It's used for touch screens, uh, solar panels, semiconductors. So it's, it's a tech mm-hmm. metal, fairly opaque market people can go on to google and see <laughs> its uses it's fine but the price is sort of up and down a fair bit because it's a fairly small market and look it, it actually goes with the zinc so a lot of zinc deposits have indium but for some reason uh west says it's unusually uh rich in indium and so what you do is when you during the zinc smeltering product um if the smelter has an indium recovery circuit that's where the indium gets removed and so it's actually a free carry and, you know, it goes with the, the zinc concentrate. You do nothing. You don't have to do anything. You just get paid, uh, you know, at, at the back end of the smelter process. Okay. Which is uh, given, put it in context with uh, the US uh, IRA and Department of Defence. Um, 
Lots of uh, supportive dollars being spent in the US for strategic critical metals. So would you expect that this is the sort of project that might uh, warrant some support from the, the feds? It is. And look, we um, to show some of their interest, we, we had um, received a grant of 300000 US dollars to study the Indian metal deposit. And so that doesn't, you know, there's no back-end um, commitments or anything like that to the to the project, but it, it shows that they want to learn about it. Um, look, Indium's just not in the zinc there. It's in everything. And so um, something's putting it there and, and it's there for a reason. But uh, we're certainly, look, we're actually close to one of the world's largest beryllium mines. And I think 90% of that production goes into um, the military there. So, uh, yeah, it's certainly something that we're keeping a close eye on. So having done that study, I guess you guys are the world experts on India, eh? Uh yeah, we'll find that, sure. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, an interesting story. So if you can, Dave, just bring it all together and give investors uh, where are we uh, coming up to the halfway mark of the year. What should investors be looking out for the rest of the year? Well, look, the, the STORM program has really exceeded the expectations for myself. I think, you know, um, also doing the technical work in, in the background on this to get 100% strike rate from drilling uh, in any resource estimate is fantastic. The assays are validating our assumptions there. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd hope that, we, you know, that the news flow for the next few months is going to be strong with, with all the assay results from these holes, you know, coming out. We've also got more drilling. And so once we wrap up, you know, the assay drilling is moving pretty quickly. So we should be able to knock off the, the res, you know, the resource work fairly quickly. And then we can move into the, the exploration phase of things. And, you know, we've got a diamond crew coming up to site. Readers might or well, um, listeners might know that we've, we've got two diamond rigs on site. They're there all year. Um, we just moved the crew up there and they'll be coming up there very shortly to begin the diamond work. And that's the other part of the puzzle which you were talking about. So the exploration work around storm. So look, between now and, and, and September, October, there's going to be steady news flow from storm. There could be some extra work coming from, from Copper Warrior. Uh, and also some some more study work from West Desert. So very strong news flow for the next three to four months. Great. Just what investors like to hear, particularly from a company, I'll say again, with a market cap of around $20 million in a world that is crying out for copy units. So, Dave, I've run out of time, but fascinating story. Thanks for your time today, and best of luck. We'll be watching with interest. Thanks, Barry. Cheers. Cheers.